Turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 2. We'll pick up in the 21st verse of this second chapter here as we continue our Savior's saga. And as we begin this morning, I want to remind you that most people have had their view of who Jesus is and what he did in his early life shaped largely not by their Bible, but actually by movies and books and television and an awful lot of other things. And so as we get to the second chapter here, and specifically as we finish the second chapter, we have pretty much all the information there is about the early life of Jesus. Now, I want to remind you that it's very concise, and it's very informative, and there's a lot here, but there's not a lot of the fanciful things that we've come to believe from Hollywood. And so, as we study this morning, we get this beautiful picture of the early life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to remind you who, again, is writing. This is Dr. Luke. His focus is on the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. He is going to very specifically give us some details, not just from a Jewish perspective, which he's going to do actually quite well uh, as he writes, but he's going to give us that kind of early life picture that was really what we could expect in the life of almost every Jewish boy. And remember that Jesus was, in fact, a boy. He was a child of these two people, though Joseph had zip to do with his coming to this earth, he was still in a Jewish family, and he had a Jewish mom and dad. And so this morning, uh, we'll pick up in verse 21, we hope and pray that we'll finish the chapter. I believe we can get that accomplished this morning in our Savior Saga, part 5. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for sharing these details about the early life of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus. And Jesus, thank you for enduring uh, childhood on this earth as a man. Uh, Lord, you were fully God as, as you spent time with your family. And Lord, we know that the details and the things that you, uh, Father, sent your Son here to this earth to do, God, were fulfilled in him while he was here. And so, Lord, help us to understand and to know and to get a picture of the beauty of the truth of your word as we study. Lord, help us to retain it, to know it, and to grow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 21, in a very Jewish uh, beginning here. And now when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, that was the norm. The eighth day was the day of circumcision, and so Jesus, being a Hebrew boy, uh, was going to have the very Hebrew uh, process of circumcision. And notice it says his name was called Jesus, and so normally circumcision and the naming of the child on the same day. But remember who named him Jesus. It was not Mary and Joseph, it was God, and so we'll get to that in a moment. And the name given to him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, very important that you keep this in context 
as a Jew would understand it. And I hope I can share that with you this morning, because these words are very, very, very precise. There were several other things that the Mosaic Law, the Levitical Law, required of a child, and I'll share them with you in a moment. But Jesus was circumcised. Moves on to say, and now in the days shifts immediately to Mary. Mark that in your mind. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. So baby dedications are nothing new. It was done for every male child who was born to the children of Israel. So it's one of those things that we've picked up as the Gentile church as well. Uh, what a great thing to start off the life of a child, dedicating that child to the Lord. And so they bring him to Jerusalem to do that and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so it's interesting to me, again, as we saw a little bit of typology in how Jesus comes to this earth, he's born into a rather destitute situation. He's wrapped in bandages, and he's placed in a little mini coffin. And now we notice that the first experience that we have recorded of his humanness on this earth is one of pain, the pain of circumcision. He's taken just like every other human being, and the first thing that he experiences in a sense in his community, in his home, as a human being, is this human right, which was given, of course, to Abraham and to his seed, the right that showed that they were children of the covenant promises. He went and was circumcised. It symbolized something very unique from a human perspective. From the human side of this, and it's important to keep these two things uh, in view, the human side and then the side of Jesus, which is also fully God. And we saw that as we shared in communion last week, that he was in fact God in human flesh. He was never less than God, but he was in a man's body. And so Jesus now is going to be identified with exactly everything that every man would ever be identified with. The flesh can't save. And so circumcision was a sign to the Jewish people that, that the law, the fleshly tablets of the heart, and the prophet Jeremiah would go on to say, I will give them a new heart. One that's not of flesh, but of spirit. And so the, the Lord's circumcision identifies him with us, with the ruined race of Adam, with that group of people who had come and had everything given to them. And it's important to go back that far, because remember, Adam and Eve, when they were brought forth to this earth, had no sin. It was not until Adam and Eve sinned that death came into the world, and so Jesus is identifying with the human race in circumcision. And so on a natural level, it actually identified him as well as a member of the Jewish race, because our Messiah is a Jewish Messiah. Our king is a Jewish king. Our Savior has the right to sit on David's throne. And one day he will do that. It's important to remember these things, otherwise you lose a view of the prophetic word of God, because there are things that have not yet happened that 
pertain to the Messiah that can only happen in a future date and time because he has still yet to fulfill those messianic promises of the kingdom of David. That he would sit on David's throne eternally. Jesus has never sat on David's throne, Y-E-T, yet. He will. And so he's identifying... Luke is making sure that we know he's a human child and he's a Jewish baby. Remember his name. And as you look at the name, you know, sometimes people uh, like to think of Jesus Christ like his first name and last name. And and you throw in Lord, now he's got a middle name, Jesus Christ Lord, and it's the the middle name, you know. But it's really not the case. You, you have a very specific naming of Jesus. God named him, sent the angels to proclaim him, and they named him Jesus. It is a shortened version, if you will, of the name Joshua, which means Yahweh is salvation. Pretty important that you understand that from a Jewish perspective. So now you have this picture coming into play for us. Jesus is going to be taken to the temple. He's going to go where every Jewish boy would go. He's going to have happen to him what would happen to every male Jewish child. He'd be circumcised, but he's been named a very specific name. That he would be, God is, salvation. Christ simply means, Christos means Messiah or anointed one. So he is God who is salvation, the anointed one. Now I don't know how hard your name was to live up as a chi- live up to as a child. I'm Jeffrey, okay? When I got in trouble, that's what I was called. When I was in good stead, I was Jeff. But I don't know if you've named any of your kids Yahweh is salvation Messiah. That would be a little bit harder to kind of live with when you were little. Jesus is named very clearly two things. Jesus Christ, and it's unfortunate that, of course, his name is often used in our society as a swear word, but it certainly, from God's perspective, is telling us exactly who he is. Exactly who he is. For God himself shall provide a sacrifice. It was his own son. Jesus would be the the bringing together in Jesus Christ are united united for us the vertical uh, of God's relation. In other words, God told us through the Old Testament what the Messiah would do, where he would come from, where he would be born. You, you see, as he as he's named Jesus, God Himself brings salvation to earth, the vertical. But he is also named in the horizontal of Christ. Because Christ would be the one who would take and reunite mankind with the God that they had been displaced from. And so you have this beautiful proper name that's a conjunction, if you will, of God and man. That's our Jesus. So these words are not just to be skipped over. A lot of people do that. They look, oh, well, it's just talking about Jesus. It was very specific. The Mosaic Law also required several other things, and I want you to note a couple of them. The Mosaic Law required circumcision, but do you know what it also required? Normally, and this, this happened uh, sometime, usually at the time of circumcision, 
But there was also a redemption paid at the temple. It was five temple shekels. The redemption was paid, so the baby was circumcised. It was a male child, and then a temple tax was paid to redeem their life. Could you please note and mark in your Bible that that's not here? Because Jesus did not need to be redeemed. He was the Redeemer. It was left out intentionally. Mary and Joseph did not go to the temple and redeem Jesus because he didn't need to be redeemed. But what did happen as we move on now in the picture is that when the days of Mary's purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to be present to the Lord. Required by the Lord was also a sacrifice of two turtle doves. And that was to set, set right, if you will, what had been a broken relationship with God and man. And so notice how it skips the redemption of the Lord and goes immediately to the cleansing of Mary. So for those of you who have been taught that Mary was somehow God or Mary was somehow sinless, your Bible says something very different. She, in fact, did need to be redeemed, and she, in fact, did need to have the turtle doves offered up for her cleansing, for her purification, because she was not sinless. And so it's giving you a very clear picture that Jesus was sinless while Mary was not. Very important to understand that. As wonderful as Mary's life was, she had zero part in the redemption of mankind. None. She's not responsible for any of it. She was a vessel, a very wonderful vessel. She was, in fact, the mother of Jesus. But she was about as responsible for your salvation as Joseph was with that regard. Neither of them were sinless. Neither of them provided the price that paid for your sin. Only Jesus provided that price. The law actually called for a sacrifice of the lamb. But I want you to notice another little detail here. It shows that they were poor. It shows that they were humble. It shows that they were not some elite class of people because they offered up the very least sacrifice they could for their own lives because they would also need the greater sacrifice of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords eventually themselves. And so the picture here is so that we do not get the wrong picture about the Lord Jesus or about his parents. And so that offering normally would come around 40 days after the child had been circumcised, brought to the temple, and redeemed, and then at 40, 41 days, then the sacrifice would be made for them to clear up any sin that they'd already done at 41 days of birth. Now, if you have children... We're pretty confident they're born sinners, amen? <laughs> Diapers not even full, but they're, change me. They just want attention. They learn how to be, you know, not nice and get their own way, and I'm hungry and I'm not hungry and I want this and I want that. They're born that way, amen? None of you have to teach your children how to lie, cheat, or steal. They'll nab the other kids' cookies. They'll tell a story to keep themselves out of trouble from birth. That's why your Bible says, in sin I was conceived. Because all of us are born with that sin nature that came from Adam. Mary and Joseph had the sin nature. Jesus did not because he was God. Very important distinction. 
And so now he's presented in the temple. We have the symbolism of that circumcision. Now the proclamations about Jesus in the temple. Firstly, Simeon. Verse 25, and it says there, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout and waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This was the guy who believed. And again, I want to remind you that no one will ever be in heaven because of anything other than the shed blood of Jesus Christ. But the Old Testament saints waited believing that Jesus was going to come. They waited knowing Messiah in that sense. They had never seen him, never met him, but from Abraham's perspective, as he was in Abraham's bosom awaiting Jesus Christ to come to this earth, He believed, and that's what he was waiting for, was for Jesus to do what Jesus alone could do. And so Simeon, in like manner, a man who served in the temple, no doubt a priest, a member likely uh, of the very highest rank of the order of the Sanhedrin, part of that legal council that would judge things according to the Mosaic law. This was a man who was very devout and very learned. And he had been, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. And notice the Holy Spirit wasn't in him, but the Holy Spirit was in the world. Also, very important distinction. Because the Holy Spirit indwells the life of the believer at their salvation. But the Holy Spirit has always been God, just like Jesus has always been God, and has always been existent, and has been here in the sense that the Holy Spirit worked in the world, but not in the individual lives of believers. That would come through salvation. So the Holy Spirit, and he says to to Simeon, You'll not see death before you've seen the Lord's Christ. Notice the differentiation and how that's described. You know why that is? Because it says there, actually, Yahweh's Messiah. It doesn't say Jesus' Christ, it says God's Christ is what it says. Making a differentiation that God had always planned to send the Messiah. It was plan one, it wasn't plan two, it wasn't a reaction to Adam and Eve's sin, it was always the plan. Jesus had intended fully to send Jesus, or God intended fully to send Jesus to this earth. And so he came by the Spirit to the temple, he's being led by the Spirit even. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, in other words, they're going to offer up those Uh, turtle doves for themselves, and then to dedicate their own child to the Lord. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Notice who he blessed. He didn't bless the child first, he blessed God, because every child comes from God. Amen? The Jews knew that, believed it. That's why they didn't have to address things like we have to address today, like abortion. They would have never, it was unthinkable to a Jew. Children were come, came directly from God as far as a Jew was concerned. We bless you God for this child. And so he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Underline, please, according to your word. God's word has always painted the picture that one day Messiah would come. There was no doubt about that in the minds and hearts of a devout Jew, that one day Messiah would come. And Simeon is now in his old age saying, now I can die and go home because I've seen him. He believed the word. Would you mark that in your margin? He believed the word. 
He took God at His word. He said, I, I've read the book of Isaiah. I have read Zechariah. I have read Daniel. I, I know what it says. One day Messiah's coming. I've seen Him. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Remember what Jesus said? I would gather you unto myself as a mother hen gathers chicks, but you would not come. Jesus was, was God's answer to all of that prophetic word that was spoken about the children of Israel, that they would bless the entire world. Remember, part of the Abrahamic covenant was that through you all of the nations of the world would be blessed. Your king is a Jewish king. Your savior is a Jewish savior. And your savior is the answer to the prophetic words spoken about the king of kings and lord of lords. He, in fact, did fulfill what God sent him to this earth to do. And he did so for the Jewish people as well. And one day, he's coming back to put an exclamation point and a period at the end of all that God has been doing in the lives of the Hebrew people. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Mary, behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign which will be spoken against it. How many people have spoken out against the name of Jesus? You know, it's widely believed today that there are probably less than a few hundred thousand actual real Jewish believers in Israel. Less than a few hundred thousand, maybe less than that. There's no real numbers for it because it's not a good thing uh, from a Jewish perspective to live in Israel and, and be a Messianic Jew. It brings you a lot of persecution. It's not fun uh, being a follower of Messiah. And it says in verse 35, Yes, a sword will pierce through your soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts might be revealed. You see, he's saying, this, this kid, this baby, this child, is the consolation of Israel. The Spirit comes upon him and says, This is the one. This is the long-awaited for Messiah. Now remember where they're at. They're in the temple. This is not some obscure thing that's happening out in the hills of Judea. It's not in Nazareth. It isn't in Bethlehem. This is in the temple. Simeon actually would become, so far as we know from history, uh, this is a famous guy. Uh, he, he likely is, is the son of the famous Rabbi Hillel, uh, and he actually might be the father of Paul's tutor, uh, Gamaliel. And so this is a famous guy. As far as Jews go, this is as Jewish as you get. So when Paul says, I was a Jew of Jews, that I was circumcised on the eighth day, that in the keeping of the law I was lacking nothing, this is, who he, this is his heritage. This is the guy he got it from. Very, very, very Hebrew indeed. And so Simeon would become the president of the Sanhedrin in, in about A.D. 13. So he's now retired from uh, that service as Jesus comes to the cross, but uh, he was an influential Jew. 
It's interesting, too, that the Mishnah, which is in essence the oral law that was passed down by the rabbis about what they believed, what we call the Old Testament, said the the Mishnah simply ignores Simon. And I believe that the reason it does so is because he professed that Jesus Christ was actually the Messiah. And so his record is removed from the Mishnah itself. Simeon's name means hearing And it's interesting to me that he proclaimed the word of the Lord. What does your Bible say about anyone who comes to Christ? For faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Simeon professed under the influence of the Holy Spirit that he believed the word of the Lord. He heard the word of the Lord. He acted on the word. As he raised Jesus, this is the Messiah. I believe it. It's that simple. It's how salvation comes to us. He knew the multitude of prophecies, and as he's speaking these things, basically what he was saying is he's holding up Jesus. Here's the completion of everything that was said about Messiah right here. And so as Jesus' life unfolded, he was pointing to Jesus so other people could go, follow him. That's the one. One of the problems that we always have as, as Gentiles is that in, in the sense that we understand what the Old Testament says, we almost find it hard to believe that more Jews don't believe. Because we look at the prophetic word, now in hindsight, having the New Testament with the Old Testament, and go, that's about as clear as it gets. You start assembling these things, and now with the computer age, you know, probably some of you have been around long enough and been involved in, in computer technology like I have long enough to remember, you know, the Commodore 64 and, you know, you, you could maybe look up a recipe on it or something, you know. But now you can whip out your smartphone and, you know, and Google Jesus and get like eight and a half billion hits about who Jesus is and what he did. They didn't have all of that. But what they did have was the oral tradition of the rabbis who had studied what we call the Old Testament in, for, in large part, most of it, but certainly the first five books of Moses, and they would go, This is him. We sit there now and go, how did they not get it? Because he was still a baby. And that's the important part of this study. And notice he says he'll be a light of the Gentiles. Isaiah 42.6 says that exact same thing. So he's simply recalling to mind the word of the Lord. Can I say to you, that's the most important part of your growth as a Christian, is to recall to your mind the word of the Lord. Don't believe me. Believe God's word. I try and expound on God's word in such a way that you get it, that you look at it and go, okay, I got that. But trust me, when I study, I am studying a vast array of what other people have read these verses, and they've gone, okay, well, I think this is where it is, and I'll look at conservative ones, and I'll look at liberal ones, I'll read the passage for myself, I will try and discern it, but I do have computer technology. So I can go, well, let's see what the NIV says. Okay, let's see what the uh, NLT says, the New Living Translation. Okay, what's the New English Version? Okay, it says that. What is the actual Greek New Testament? Oh, it says that. Okay, I got that. You see, we have that technology, that ability now. So I can tell you with, with very great certainty that these words say exactly what the original text intended. They're conveying to us the truth that Simeon holds us. This is him. 
This is the Lord of glory. That child, however, would be uh, the rise and the fall. Remember what happens with Jesus. Uh, He was reviled, amen? Uh, Ultimately, it would put him on the cross, amen? Ultimately, it's going to cause the rise of the Antichrist. Think about it for a second. Because the Jews have yet to believe as a nation, and yet your Bible says there in Romans 11 that one day all Israel will be saved, that time is still yet coming. There's going to be a day when the light's going to go on. This guy who's formed a peace treaty that's now taken in all of the world, brought forth this one world religion and this one world government, this one world monetary system, which, by the way, the world is crying out for right now. I don't know if you happen to have caught it, but this is the new pope. He's an interesting dude. He just pronounced that you don't have to even know God to go to heaven. Don't even have to know him. You talk about attractive. That's pretty. You mean I can do whatever I want and still go? Yep, according to the Pope. That he's not going to judge homosexuality. He said directly, I will not judge whether it's right or wrong. And yet his Bible clearly says that. That's pretty attractive to the world. Put together Roman Catholicism and the Muslim faith, you have two of the three-thirds of the world, religiously. Very close to it. Be kind of interesting. But the world's crying for that. Who is the world knocking down right now? I can tell you what you can't do in the public square. Go preach the name of Christ. You'll be told to shut up or you'll get arrested, one of the two. You can't do that. If you go to Preacher's Corner in London and you talk about Jesus Christ being the way, you'll actually be arrested for a hate crime. It's getting to where that name alone can get you arrested. Even here. You can say just about anything you want, about anything else that you want. You can spout vulgarities until you don't have any more to say, and it will be okay. The rise and the fall. It's all about Jesus. It always has been always about Jesus. Because his name is the only name that can save. There is no other name under heaven, your Bible says. Acts chapter 4. There's no other name. Jesus has been the world's number one controversy since the day of his birth and remains so to this day. Moves on now, goes from his infancy, basically, and jumps immediately, and that's why I shared with you, you know, we really don't know a whole lot. Verse 36, first we have the words of the prophetess Anna, and now... There was one Anna who was a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And it's noted there because we we need to understand that though the tribes had been dispersed, they'd been taken captive first in the north by the Assyrians, and then those who were still in Jerusalem by the Babylonians, the entire Jewish people had been dispersed to the four winds, if you will. They still maintained tribal identity. Because your Bible says in the very last days that there will be 144,000 
of the children of Israel, 12,000 from each tribe, from all 12. And so here we get the identity of one of the tribes, the tribe of Asher, one of the northern tribes. And she was of great age. And, and we don't think of 84 as great age today. A lot of people make it to 84. But back then, nobody made it to 84. It just simply didn't happen. It's believed at that day and time the average age was probably between 36 and 42. Okay, so this, this woman is nearly twice as old as most people ever lived. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. So she was married for seven years and then widowed. Now, to put this in perspective, we don't think of it this way. Uh, it happens in some areas of the world, and unfortunately it's never good. Uh, but it was not uncommon at all for a young lady to be married at 12 or 13 years old at that point in time. So 12 or 13, let's give her a couple more years, say maybe she was 14, she'd be like an old hag by 14, but she was maybe 14 years old. She lived seven years after that with her husband, so at the very most she was 20, 21 years old. That's it when she lost her husband. And now notice what it says and this woman was a widow of about 84 years. So she was 84 years old. She lived as a widow for 60 years. One and a half times the normal length of life for a human being at the time. She lived as a widow that long who did not depart from the temple. She spent all of that time looking for Messiah. That's how much she believed. One and a half times of a normal life. She did not, not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord. She simply saw what Simeon was doing and said, Oh my, it's him. She also believed and spoke of him, Jesus, to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. You see, a lot of people came to pay the redemption tax. A lot of people came to kind of square up their books, so to speak. They, they came to do the right thing, if you will. But she came believing. You remember what Jesus said when he was kind of asked, you know, well, what about this whole thing with baptism and all that? He said to them, it is enough that you believe. Because it's believing that saves. It's not baptism that saves. When we baptize next Sunday, let me tell you something about baptism. Baptism can't save you. It's interesting. It will actually be in the life of John the Baptist next week. But baptism doesn't save you. It never has, never will. It's just an identification. Communion doesn't save you. Never has, never will. It is just an identification. Do this in remembrance of me. It is believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that saves. And that alone saves. It's not going to church. It's not getting a bigger Bible. It's not having a study Bible. It's not having computer programs. It's not hanging out with a bunch of people who know Jesus. It is believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you do that, your life is going to change. And a lot of things are going to be substantially different. And if they aren't, you need to question whether you actually believe or not. But it is believing that saves. Why am I emphasizing this? Simeon believed, Anna believed, Abraham believed. They simply believed. 
That's why you're going to see him in heaven. Not because they served in the temple. Not because she spent 60 years. She spent the 60 years because she believed. Believe. We have the testimony now complete of the witnesses early in the life of Jesus. First the shepherds, then Simeon. Interesting. Common people who were wealthy. Simeon represented the church, and Anna represented the lay people. So you have pretty much everybody from every walk of life represented in those three people or people groups. Didn't matter where you were. If you went to the temple, you'd bump into somebody who believed. If you went inside the temple, you'd bump into somebody who believed. If you went down to the local supermarket to buy yourself a sheep, you'd find somebody who believed. God is good. And his word goes forth. Now we have Jesus' life as a young boy. And so when they had performed all these things, according to the law, it says in verse 39, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And so they go back to this place that that was predicted, this place that was uh, to be where Jesus would grow up. This place that was the crossroads, a border city, a busy place, a place of trade. And I love this. Now, we don't know, and a lot of fanciful speculation has taken place as to what happened in Jesus' early life, but I know this, Jesus was God. I know this, Jesus had a home. I know this, Jesus had brothers and likely sisters. So what we do know about Jesus is that he was God, with a normal family. And so that was the place that he lived. He had an earthly village. He didn't live in a convent. He didn't live in a cloister. He didn't live in a monastery. He didn't live in a cave. He lived in a very busy, open town that people could go to and go, I heard there's this guy, you know, and there's kind of some, you know, some things been said about him, and we heard. And so they could go talk to Jesus. He wasn't hidden away someplace until he got ready. He was a boy in a normal town. The plan was this, and the child grew and waxed strong in the spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And what this says to me is there was a godlike quality from day one. And I love that. Didn't say that he had Shekinah glory. Didn't say as he went around, you know, there was like a neon sign that pointed down, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He didn't wear special garments. Uh, I, I, and, I, and I hate to blow everybody's, you know, view of Jesus. He was a normal guy. There wasn't anything Isaiah said about him that would differentiate him with any other human being who lived in Nazareth. He wasn't super tall. He wasn't super handsome. Uh, he, you know, may have had a receding hairline. We don't know. Maybe he was prematurely bald. We don't know. Maybe he needed Rogaine. I don't know. The reason I'm saying these things to you, there's a lot of things you believe about Jesus that we don't know. Let me really shatter your world. If you have a picture of Jesus in your house, it is likely wrong. R-O-N-G. That's the way I spell it, without the W. (laughs) It's probably wrong. He likely had very dark complexion. 
he likely wasn't horribly handsome. He was just a normal guy. He didn't have piercing blue eyes. He didn't have perfect skin. Jesus likely had, you know, he probably suffered with a little acne. He had dirt under his fingernails. All of these things that we think because somebody drew a picture one day because they wanted to make him out to be more than he was as a man are likely not true. It's important for you to know that. Why? Because he came for the very express purpose of identifying with you. He couldn't do that if he was walking around as some specially anointed being. He was a man. He got hungry when food didn't taste good. It didn't taste good to Jesus either. If mom cooked up some, you know, some rancid sheep stew, he was like, oh man, mom! I'm doing this for a purpose because Jesus was tested in all ways such as you are and yet without sin. He was protected from nothing. He didn't have eternal SPF. He, you know, he got dirty. He got sunburned. All of those things as a human being. So when you think of Jesus, think of Jesus as one who was just like you. Familiar with everything going on around him. The only difference was, is internally, he was God. So his level of compassion would have made him stand out. His level of love would have made him stand out. It was not some physical attribute. It was the spiritual attributes that made him stand out. So people came to him when they had problems. I'm pretty sure Jesus did a lot of counseling even as a boy. I'm pretty sure Jesus did a a lot of touching people unbeknownst to them and maybe even healing them on the spot. Because he was still God. But he was God wrapped in a human body. As we wrap this up, and his parents, and I love this story. This is just like the classic, I love this story. This is the classic story. Now here, we can modernize it a little bit. What you're going to get is, how many of you have lost your children in Walmart? They go, yeah, they go inside the racks of clothes and they hide from you. And you're like, you're booking, Amber Alert, dial 911, my kids are gone. This is that for Jesus. Or Disneyland. We've done both. Yes, our kids are, well, they, they've feathered, where did, you know, they've kind of handled it pretty well, but, and I have dropped them on their heads too. Sorry, boys. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year for the Feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, he went to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. So now, at 12 years old, I know it's hard to believe that they were considered basically the beginning stages of adulthood. So at 12 years old, you started doing all the adult things. So he's not, we would think 12, well, that's nuts. You know, he's barely in junior high and, you know, not a good idea. But it was a, it was a little more normal there, then. And when they had finished the days, they returned, and the boy Jesus, the boy who is God, who is salvation, lingered behind in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know how they got out of Jerusalem without him. The story doesn't tell us that. And Joseph and his mother did not know it. We don't know why. Just like in Walmart, 
they were just here. It's gone. And you turn around and they've disappeared. They're, you know, mine used to hide it literally inside those garment rack things. And they thought it was hilarious. And you could hear them snickering after a while. So we learned to go straight to the garments after we lost them. But they didn't know it. But supposing him to have been in the company, they went, they were gone a day. Can you imagine you go to Walmart? You don't have your kids in the car. You got your aunt, your uncle, your friends. You know, they hadn't seen a super Walmart yet, so you take them to super Wal- the family trip to super Walmart. And you get back in the car, and you got all the stuff in the back, and you head home, and you get all the way home. Where'd they go? They're not here. What'd you do with them? I mean, they're freaking out. They're completely panicked by now. Supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and they sought him among the relatives. They thought maybe one of the family picked him, you know, just hanging out with the rest of the kids or something. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. They know where he's at. He's back in Jerusalem. But they don't know what he's doing. It gives you an idea. Mary wasn't exactly perfect. Amen? Because if she'd have really been God or kind of like God or really close to God... Guess what she would have done? I know where he's at. Right back to the temple. But that wasn't what happened. And now it was, they go back there, there three days before they find him. You talk about lame. I'm sorry, but if your view is Mary is infallible and that she's the co-redemptrix, she's not too, too in tune with God because she spent three days looking for her son when she knew he was in the temple. Here it is. Found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. Yeah, I'll bet, because he was God. Uh, you remember what Jesus uh, says about himself? You remember what the Gospel of John says about Jesus? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Jesus was God, and he was also the Word. So you have the living word sitting with the religious hierarchy of the day kind of straightening out their theology. And when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? You get the picture? She really didn't have a clue. I'm sorry, you know, if, if I'm ruining your view of the Holy Mother Mary, but... She was kind of not quite getting it here. What'd you do that for? You know, why did... Well, notice what he says. Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Well, Mom, I knew that. I'm God. I kind of knew where you were the whole time. And he said to them, Why did you seek me? He asked him a pretty pointed question. Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Mom, do you remember who told you I was going to come into this world? you remember what happened originally with the kind of whole not knowing a man thing? Should have probably been a clue to you that I'm a little different than the rest of the kids in the neighborhood. Not sure you didn't quite get that part, but here's the deal. I must be about my father's business. Here's where it gets really good. What was his earthly father's business? Carpenter. Do you have a lot of carpenters in the temple? 
The answer is no. What is the temple affectionately called? God's house. I must be about my father's business. Who is the father of Jesus? God. Somehow, Mary, the co-redemptrix, Mary, the holy mother of God, didn't quite get that part. I'm pretty sure that Jesus was helping us understand it's about me. It's about Christ and Christ alone. It's about grace and grace alone. It's about faith and faith alone that saves. Not about who you know, not about who you live with, not about anything else. It's about him. But they did not understand the statement which was spoken to them. You, you see, this whole thing was so that we would get the picture that it's only about Jesus. It wasn't about Joseph, as wonderful a man as Joseph had to have been. It wasn't about Mary, as wonderful a woman as is, be graced, remember what we said, a woman as Mary was and is. One day you're going to get to meet Mary. What an awesome op. You can ask her, what were you thinking? but still a woman, not God. You see, what he was really saying was, Mom, Dad, this is my business. I came to seek and save that which was lost. I came to give my life a ransom for many. Remember what Isaiah said? I came to do it. That's why I'm here. I'm sitting with these people so they'll get the real picture. All of those things close with this and then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them but his mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with both God and man it just gives us this picture this beautiful picture of how being a part of Jesus' family still left them a little short amen (laughs) and in need of the Savior and that's all of us. And so it gave us a picture the law can't save, never has. Gave us a picture no matter who you know, who you're related to, can't save, never has. That it is in fact the name of Jesus that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, for this time this morning in your word, Lord, the the graciousness with which you choose to bless us with understanding. and God, pray that we as your people would remember that it's all about you, Jesus. Lord, that you are the only name. You're the only way. You are the truth and the life. Lord, you're the one name under heaven that whereby men can be saved. You're the one to whom we will ultimately bow in heaven. And Lord, so we who know you bow on this earth. And pray that if there's those here in this place today who've never made that profession of faith, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, condense by your Spirit the truth of these things. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we bless you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.